As he came to the towns of, of Beth, is it Phage? Is it Bethphage? And Beth, Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into the village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you'll see a young, you, you'll see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colts, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, Why are you untying that colt? As the disciples simply replied, The Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride. As he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. He replied, If they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that all of you people would understand the way to peace. But now it is too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will, rebuild, will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you in, into the ground and, leave, and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not accept your opportunity for salvation. Thanks. Okay, so we'll be in Luke 19 today. Um, if you guys will be... Uh, if you want to turn there, we'll spend most of our time there. But right now, I'm just going to pray for us before we get started. Father, I pray that you will express yourself to us today as, as we celebrate this beginning of Easter week. So much of it, I think, is familiar to us. That Jesus came, that that he went to Jerusalem and the events that happened in Jerusalem uh, over 2,000 years ago. Uh, but I, I pray, Father, that, that you will help us understand and by that understanding to actually worship you, uh, to be healed in so many ways like, like has been shared this morning, physically, emotionally, spiritually. God, we need, we need all of that. We need you. And we need to understand how to, not only our hearts want to feel loved, but in our minds we really, we desire to understand truth, and so God, by your Holy Spirit, I pray we'll understand that this morning. In your name, amen. Okay, so the story that, that Angelica read for us in Luke 19, what we find here is, is literally, it's this victory processional, right, as you have a king who has come in from winning a battle and everyone is all giddy about it and they just want to celebrate. But the story is a little different than we'd expect and we'll get into that. But I, I want us to, rather than seeing Jesus like he's expressed here in Luke 19 as coming in on a donkey... I want us to imagine really quickly what it would look like if Jesus was on this large gray war stallion coming in after actually declaring his right 
to the throne of Israel. This is what, what uh, Spurgeon, an, an old pastor, said about this. And, I, and I, he said it so well, I wasn't going to try to uh, replicate it. So this is what he says. He says, Jesus only needed to say the word, and all of Israel would have rushed with him at their head to Pilate's palace, taking him by surprise. With but a few shoulders in the land, Pilate might soon have been his prisoner and would have been tried for his life. Before the bravery and fury of a Jewish army, Palestine might soon have been cleared of all the Roman legions and have become again a royal land. Or we might say, with his power of working miracles, with his might, by which he drove the soldiers back when he said, I am, if you'll remember in the garden where he says, I am, and all of them just fell back. He might have cleared not only that land, but every other. He might have marched from country to country, from kingdom to kingdom, till every royal city and nation would have yielded to his supremacy. He could have made those that dwell in the islands bow to him, and those that inhabit the wilderness. There is no reason, O kings of the earth, O presidents, why Christ should not have been mightier than you. If his kingdom had been of this world, he might have founded a dynasty more lasting than yours. He might have gathered troops before whose might your legions would melt like snow. So imagine that. What it would have been like, right? If the twelve apostles become princes ruling over everything from North America to Australia, right? And that's how the kingdom started. But we see something very different. Not only did that not happen, we don't see Jesus on a stallion, right? We see him on a mule, a donkey. Even less than that, a a baby donkey. 500 years before this happened, this was predicted by a prophet named Zechariah. And this is what he says. He says, Rejoice, O Zion, shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. So, in, in Matthew, uh, this, it, this is actually the, the only, one of the only stories that is told in all four of the Gospels, um, this, this processional into Jerusalem. And Matthew um, takes the three attributes that are given in Zechariah, it says he is righteous, victorious, and yet he is humble. Um, and it just, it just focuses on the humility, so that's what we're going to do this morning. Um, the characteristic of the kingdom, not only the king, but his kingdom, is being one of humility. And how that affects us. We're going to go through five points, and I just, want, I just want to dwell this morning upon the difference of God's kingdom, and then the kingdoms that we often try to establish, Right? Not only um, do we try to establish them with our nations, but I think we also try to establish them in our own hearts, right? How we try to establish ourselves and how different it is that we find our king, the king of kings and the lord of lords, and how he establishes his kingdom. So the first point, how humility makes a difference, is this, that, that the kingdom is not one of appearance, I um, (laughs) a story to illustrate this. So when I was in college, you know, it's the cool thing. Once you're in college, it's cool to have a car in high school, but then you're just not cool at all if you don't have one in college. So Um, I had this really awesome car. I got it my my junior year, so I was late to the whole cool thing. And 
And it was this beautiful car. It was this old Isuzu Trooper four-wheel drive, right? And it, could, it really could get anywhere. With, in Pullman, that's a big deal because the snow would get really high. And, and near the end of its life, you had to hit the starter with a golf club, just get it started. And that's cool in Pullman, okay? It was like rusting out the bottom and had all these awesome stickers on the back of it. Really cool car. So graduated from, from college, and I stayed an extra year in Pullman. Uh, and, and during that year, my trooper just... I loved it, but I didn't care for it, like a car should be cared for, and it died. <laughs> um, and so I didn't have a car for a little while, and then, and then a friend of mine let me borrow his 1987 Mercury Sable. <laughs> right, thank you. <laughs> I don't know if Angelica knows anything about cars, but she said, ooh, and that's what I thought when I saw it. But I, I could draw it again, but it, wasn't, it didn't give me the status that a car should give somebody, right? Because we're in, we're in rural Washington, and, and everyone's driving big rigs, you know, like trucks, and, and here I have a Mercury Sable, which if you know the Sable, it follows the Taurus. <laughs> Enough said, right? In the 1980s. So, sorry if you have a Taurus. <laughs> and so here I was, and I, you know, I went on some dates, and, but I just never, I never had that status of having a car. Um, I, I got pulled over a few times, and I think out of pity they let me off. Because oh, no. <laughs> I was driving a Mercury Sable. But, but it's not, right, and, and it was, I mean, there was a little bit of my pride that was wounded, right? That I had to do that. But it wasn't, for Jesus, it wasn't about appearance. And, and I, want, I want to look at this not only, and this is a silly story, but it's true, right? So much for us, status-wise, rides on appearance. You can, you can see it in other silly ways, like, I don't know if you guys remember the big hullabaloo over John Edwards' presidential candidate getting a $400 haircut. Right? People were like, Whoa. And then I, I was actually online reading about this, and he actually paid the guy to come out, so he actually spent 12 Hundred dollars on a haircut, right? So the value we put on appearance, status, appearance, power, how they go together. Are you accepted by the way you look, right? They don't have Mercury Sable clubs in the fair, right? Or in parades, right? Like princesses waving on top of them. That doesn't happen, right? That'd be silly. And in the same way, you don't have kings riding on donkeys. But Jesus really crushed the status quo in so many ways. And I want us to, to dwell upon this. Because when we look at Jesus, he's establishing power in a very different way. His followers are fishermen, right? tax collectors, men who are not of education, or if they were of education, men who had been rejected by society. Um, he exalted women, right, in his following. That was huge. That wasn't done in his day. You weren't, you weren't cool as a leader if you did that, right? But he did. He gave them status. He communicated with them one-on-one, -on -one, right? He exalted them. Um, he, had, he had nowhere to lay his head, right? He was a king without a palace. He was a king without a home. And this is who we see riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. Behold your king, humble, riding in on a donkey. Isaiah 53 says this. It says, 
Be and I think partly because of this. It says, who has believed our message? To whom has the, the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant Jesus, is who he was talking about, grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. Nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man acquainted with deepest grief. He t we turned our backs on him and looked away. He was despised and we cared not for him. Right? Who cares about a king without a palace, right? Or a king without soldiers that will follow him and make people do what he commands. That won't subject people by his power to him, right? And that's our king, humble, riding on a donkey. So, it's not what we look like, but it's who we are. That's, that's the beginning point of this, the essence of the kingdom. Is, is Jesus wasn't concerned about what he looked like. He was concerned about fulfilling the will of the Father, and that was part of what he was doing. You ask, then why was he in this big parade, <laughs> right? Well, it says here, it says because he was fulfilling what the prophets had said about him, and that was part of it. He was a king, but how was his kingdom expressed? It was expressed in humility. And we don't exalt that enough, Right? We don't look for that enough, I think, in our political leaders today, or even in any of our leaders, um, whether it's in the church or anywhere else. Do we, do we say, man, I look for that person who's humble? Because they're not about appearance, they're about what's genuine, and Jesus was very genuine. And in the same way, are we looking to Jesus, saying, Jesus, I'm just not going to give you appearance, but look at my heart. Right, because I think that is what God is asking us to do. As we see Jesus riding in on a donkey, He's asking us to see and value who He is, His heart, the heart of God, which is humble. Um, and is that our honesty before God? Is that our genuineness before God? To say, I'm just not going to give you appearance. I, I want you to look at my heart. <laughs> it's open before you, God. Um, and does He find humility there? That's the first point. So it's a kingdom not of appearance. It's a kingdom of, of genuine, uh, genuine character. The second is it's a kingdom of joy. And I think, I think real humility produces joy. It produces joy because it's genuine, right? There's, there's such beautiful intimacy with people, right? One-on-one, -on -one, in groups, whatever it is, if, if there's humility there, right? And so you have this expression of joy that comes from that, I think. It says, you have these, these priests that are there saying, can't you just shut them up? Like, they're kind of embarrassing us, right? They're, they're celebrating you, but you're not the characteristic king. And what does Jesus reply? He says, he says even if you shut them up, he says, the rocks are just going to cry out. He's like, this is, this is good. This shouldn't be happening. This is good, right? Joy over the kingdom. And I, I want you guys to consider that it is, it is accurate and, and, and it is what we should, we should look forward to. When, whenever it talks about the kingdom coming, um, it often talks about it as, um, as a wedding feast, right? And so as we look forward to Jesus coming, it's like looking forward to a wedding feast, right? Where we, his people, are the bride and he's the bridegroom. 
And we come together, and when we're finally united, it's like a feast. It's a good time. Right? And this is what we're looking forward to here, is people are actually celebrating. Um, I think it's, it's sad, because I, in one way, um, this is called a triumphal procession, but some, some theologians have called it the, the non-triumphal procession, partly because a lot of those who are cheering don't really know what they're cheering about. <laughs> and I honestly consider that too. Do we know when we cheer on Jesus, right? As our Savior, do we know who we're cheering for or what we're cheering for? Because that wasn't here. Um, Romans 14 says, the kingdom of heaven is about this. It's not about eating, it's not about drinking, but it's about goodness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Um, so if, if you've come this morning, and, and your idea of heaven or the kingdom, or what it looks like when God is king, if your idea is that it's a place where there's not fun, or there's judgment, or where you're accused of things, that's not right. <laughs> right. The kingdom of heaven that's brought by Jesus is a kingdom of goodness, peace, and joy. And so that's, that was his, that's what his humble reign will bring. His humble reign in your life should be bringing joy. And so if you don't have joy in the Lord, and I want you to consider this carefully, if you don't have joy in the Lord, oftentimes that is a result of us exalting something else as king in our own lives. Okay, who is king? Is it Jesus, gentle, riding on a donkey? Or have you looked for something with a lot more pomp? Have you looked for the war stallion, right? Who's going to come and just take care of the drama, right? Take care of that momentary problem that, like, this is all ultimate right now. And that's not, that's not what he's coming to do. But he comes to bring joy. Um, I, I think a beautiful portrayal of this is Chronicles of Narnia, right? It's this long winter. And so when Aslan returns, right, it's spring for the first time. That, that was kind of the feeling I had this morning when I woke up and it was so beautiful out. Right? It was like, spring is here and I get so excited. And it, it's what it's like when we see Jesus coming in. It's, it's the final... It, it's finally the king is here, right? And so they're, they're, what are they yelling? They're yelling Hosanna. And what Hosanna means is, it, it's translated here as, um, as blessings on the king, right? Or, or another translation is, is praise the Lord. But what Hosanna really means is save us, right? And so they're singing, coming in, and they're just saying, save us, finally save us. The winter has been so long, right? Save us. And so that, that produces joy. The third point here is the king does not use, Jesus does not use others to make himself great. Instead, he is great and he makes others great with him. You get that? That separates, it's immediately separates Jesus from any earthly power. Right? Jesus does not use you to become great. Jesus is great, and by his greatness, he is making you great. So it's not a matter of appearance. Jesus didn't have to appear great. Jesus didn't have to come in riding on the wind, you know, whipping people with his fiery sword, right? Jesus is great, 
But he's expressing himself in humility. Why? So he can save people and make them great. Right? People who had lost their identity. In John 10.10, it says this. He says, my purpose is to give them rich and satisfying life. So what's, the, what's pur- the purpose of Jesus? He says, I want to give. I want to give to them. Jesus didn't come to tax us, right? <laughs> That's often how, how we, ex- we expect for a kingdom to be great is that whether it's peasants or people or whoever, is that they're giving and giving and giving and hopefully by their giving that money will be used wisely, Right? But instead, Jesus comes and he does this. He says, I am giving from my wealth to you, right? There's nothing that we can give to him. But he comes to give rich and satisfying life. Um, Henry Kissinger, which, which if you know politics in the last, last couple decades, you'll know Henry Kissinger. He says this, he says, nations don't have friends, they just have interests. And that will, that will show you a little bit the state of our politics. <laughs> Nations don't have friends, they just have interests. And so that's oftentimes how we treat God. You'll hear oftentimes when people feel so, so judged, right? And what do they say? They say, God, what do you want from me? What do you, what do you just what, tell me what you want and I'll give it to you so I can have joy or peace or whatever you have to bring. But that's not what God, God doesn't come Saying, this I need from you, and then I'll give you peace. God comes gentle, riding on a donkey, humble, to save those who couldn't even ask him to do that, right? So he gives what we couldn't ask for, right? From his wealth we have received. But we keep perceiving ourselves like we're, we're in the position of power, right? So that we can, we can barter with God or say, God, I'll, I'll, <laughs> when I'm ready, I'll go this distance and then you can come this distance. But the fact of the incarnation, which means Jesus coming down to earth is this, that he came all the way, right? <laughs> Not part of the way just to have a palace where we could come and pay him homage, But he came all the way, all the way to the extent of being homeless and rejected, despised, and like us in so many ways that he understood our sorrow in every way. Right? So he, then, could give us salvation in every way, emotionally, spiritually, physically, right? That he could literally heal our land. So that's God's interest, is to give And that's what we see as Jesus comes riding on a baby donkey, right? One who is willing to give. He's not just asking to receive, which sets him apart. The humility of our king sets him apart from any other king. The third, uh, the fourth, sorry, is that that it's a kingdom of peace. Um, And this is is really clear in the end of... uh, as he comes in and he says the stones would even cry out. In verse 42, he says, How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. Right? He weeps over them and he says, I just, man, if you guys would understand the way to peace. Um, it's a kingdom of peace. But it's a different peace than we would expect. And, and this is expressed in a few different ways. The first is that 
the, the governing authorities weren't threatened by Jesus. Right? He comes in, and no one really seems to care besides the kids. Right? The kids are out like throwing branches, like having a grand old time. And, and what is Pilate doing? Right? Pilate, who is the governing authority of this, this area, he doesn't even care. He's not threatened by a guy on a donkey. Right? If Jesus came out on a horse, he might have been threatened. But a donkey isn't threatening anybody. But it, the, imagine, so we, the coffee oasis isn't really a threat, but if we started stockpiling weapons, <laughs> right, and all of a sudden we had a tank parked out back, <laughs> right, and we built an underground bunker, right, and we started a nonprofit called Hope Militia, <laughs> right, <laughs> I'm not recommending any of this. Right? We, we would be considered a threat. But Jesus wasn't threatening anybody. Who was threatened by Jesus? The Pharisees. Right? The religious people were threatened by Jesus. Why? Because it becomes something totally different to them. If you turn to Ezekiel 13, um, this will help, help you understand a little bit of it. As, as looking ahead in verses 10 through 16, this is what it says. It says, This will happen um, because evil prophets deceive my people by saying, All is peaceful when there is no peace at all. It is as if the people have built flimsy walls and these prophets are trying to reinforce it by covering it with whitewash. So it's like, like, they've built up these walls and been like, no, they're sturdy. Look, they're really pretty. Right? There's peace. There's peace. Tell these whitewashers that their walls will soon fall down. A heavy rainstorm will undermine it. Great hailstones and mighty winds will knock it down. And when the wall falls, the people will cry out, what happened to our whitewash? Right? And that's why the religious people are threatened. And, and that's why still... Still, so many who are religious, and sometimes even Christian, uh, come under that name, are threatened by Jesus who rides on a donkey. Right? Who's wanting to give and not receive. Right? It's because as we have Jesus coming in, the people, the, the religious leaders had kept saying, it's okay, just keep tithing, right? Just keep, just keep giving, and it's okay, you'll just... You'll be blessed. It's, it's fine. We'll just make these compromises with the, the governing authorities. And, and all they had become is this hierarchy, right? Of people who were just, weren't offering peace at all, right? And, and this, this really grieved me as I was studying this. Because I think in the same way, in 2011, oftentimes people question why there are churches, why there are religious institutions who keep saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Right? We don't want to be a people that keep saying, it's okay when it's not okay. Right? And that was the stay here. So they felt threatened by Jesus because Jesus was coming in humble, saying, it's not okay. Right? That the hearts of people are hurting and it's not okay. 
right? And he's not just gonna not just gonna try to set up another government because another government's not gonna help. So what if Jesus conquered the whole world, right? And and just lived his life out until he died, and the apostles are set up, and all of a sudden that governing authority starts crumbling, right? That's not what we see here. That's not Jesus who's humble and riding on a donkey. There's something else going on here. And, and this is the challenge we come when I, say, when I say the kingdom is about peace. And someone could bring up, okay, what about Mark 10? It says, Jesus says, I'm not here to bring peace but a sword. And you're like, what about that? <laughs> this, is, this is what it's talking about here. And I want you to, to consider this really carefully is that what it means, one of, these, one of these commentators said this, and I think it was so helpful, he says, it means a sudden hurling of a sword where peace was expected. Christ does bring peace, but not as the world gives. But it is not the force of compromise with evil, but of conquest over wrong, over Satan, and the triumph of the cross. Right? And that, that, that peace would be something that divided people because some people, right, as we see the religious leaders here, wanted to keep saying, it's okay, we'll keep compromising and eventually we'll have peace. But Jesus was coming very confrontationally bringing peace saying, no, something needs to be done. Right? Something needs to be done. And what was going to happen <laughs> is that Jesus was going to do something far more subversive than riding a war horse. And he was going to get put on a Roman cross, die a political death. Crosses aren't religious ways to kill people. They're political ways to kill people. And he was going to die on a Roman cross. And he was going to be raised with power by the Holy Spirit, forever conquering sin and death and hell, and by that power was going to change all of history, right? I mean, un- until some random bunch of historians decided to make it before Common Era and Common Era, it was, right, it was B.C. and A.D. before Christ and Anno Domini, after his death, right? So everything is, is divided upon this man who, what, comes humble riding on a donkey, the baby donkey, So he's bringing peace, but this peace is something that's so controversial. Why? Because it says, I will no longer compromise and let people hurt by sin, right? Satan was okay with Jesus compromising, right? He was okay with Jesus if he compromised, right? We went through the temptation, a lot of our community groups this last week, and and Satan came and he was tempting Jesus. He's like, just worship me and I'll do what? I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. Jesus was interested in something other than being the king of the world, right? Because people would still be lost and hurting, and he wanted wanted people healed. So he wasn't going to make the compromise, right? He was going to defeat Satan. And that's that's the one who's coming in, and that's, that's why... The politicians didn't understand it because all they cared is that they got the, their piece of the pie. Right? The religious leaders were scared because people were following him and, and they weren't getting the attention. Jesus was something about something far more substantial than this. 
And, and I want us to see this. And so it's a kingdom about peace, but it's real peace. And so our fifth point will help work this out. And it says, humility introduces us to a new kind of power that is capable of establishing true peace. A new kind of power that is capable of actually establishing peace. Peace for the whole person, for the whole community, for the whole world. And this is what they cried as they repeated the, the words of Psalm 118. And they said, as the children crying out said, Please, Lord, please save us. Please, Lord, please give us success. This is, this is Psalm 118. Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Bless you from the house of the Lord. So they're saying, please, Lord, save us. But, but consider that in relationship to what will happen less than one week later. As this same man is held upon a Roman cross and they, they mock him saying this, saying, you saved others, why can't you save yourself? This is our humble God. Who they celebrated when they saw people going after him. They were like, okay, it's a donkey. But it's still a victory processional. We'll keep the victory processional. Right, save us. Save us. And then they lost all hope. Right? Five days later, you saved others. We know you healed that. This is right after Lazarus was raised from the dead. In, 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 this, in John, the Gospel of John, it's John 11, Lazarus is raised, John 12, triumphal procession, right? And, so, and everyone had heard about it, and they, and, and they thought, okay, if he can raise Lazarus, maybe he can raise the whole nation, right? But now they're here saying, well, you saved others, can't you save yourself? But the humility of Christ tells us of a different power of God, to bring peace. And I want us to consider it in this way, that, that what we want so desperately is concrete reality, right? I was talking to, to a good friend this last week, and, and they were saying, um, they were saying, I, Daniel, I can see you, I can touch you, but, but when I talk to God, it just seems not concrete at all. Right? And that's, that's hard, but in the humility of Jesus that brings peace, we have a concrete reality. And this, this is something that is called shalom. Right? Peace. It's a, it's a greeting that they used to give each other. Um, in Hebrew, um, it's kind of like us saying, hello, how are you doing? Good. When we really don't mean we're doing good, we just mean, I don't want to talk to you anymore. <laughs> right? So shalom actually meant peace. Uh, and that's what Jesus is coming to bring. Oh, if they would know what would bring them peace. And I will tell you, peace is something that is just as concrete, even more concrete, I would argue, than something that you can see, feel, taste, and touch. And this is what Jesus is coming to bring. Because it's more, it's more than simply conquering the Romans for a moment. Right, and then conquering whoever would come next and whoever would come next. 
but he's establishing a kingdom that is so concerned about the whole person. Um, it's actually, here, let me, shalom, if you look at the definition of it, it means a lot of things in one. And that's what's beautiful about it. it. It doesn't just mean peace, it means well, happy, friendly, healthy, whole, prosperous, rest, safety. Right? And we're like, yes, I like that. <laughs> I want all of those. Oh, if they would only know it would bring them shalom. And what shalom is, is it's, a, it's not something that's new, but it's restoration. It's, it's, um, it's renewal. And what I mean by this is, is Jesus was the one who created, it says that God created the whole world through Jesus, everything that exists. You, your dog, the Beatles, well, the band and the insects, and <laughs> trees, lava, right? It was created by God. And when it was created, it was created in Eden, right? It's a beautiful place of tranquility, harmony, unity, peace. Um, but something broke that peace, right? Bro- literally broke it. Um, so that from that time on, that there was no peace. And nothing that man tried doing, building large towers, building large kingdoms, s- coming away by themselves into just little, you know, maybe building a farm out in the middle of nowhere. Nothing could bring peace, right? What, try to do everything as concrete as you can. Hold somebody in your arms, tell someone you love them. That peace isn't concrete, right? Why? Because, because shalom was broken, right? Because whole, what, what it meant to be whole was, was crushed, And so when, when Jesus comes in and then he weeps over Jerusalem and he says, oh, if they only knew what would bring them peace, right? Was this, was this king riding on a donkey, humble, right? We didn't need somebody who would just declare themselves as the world ruler, right? Humility is at the root of shalom, Right? That is why God appro- opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Because you won't experience shalom unless you come to the point of humility of saying, I need the king who comes in riding on a baby donkey. Right? Bringing something that I can't identify, that I can't build with my own hand, no matter how concrete it is. No matter who I vote for. Right? I'm not... That's not helping shalom. <laughs> but that's what I need. I need this peace that is more concrete than anything I can see. Right? And that's what we long for. So God's mission in Jesus Christ was this, was to renew shalom to the world. That those who put their trust in him will never be disappointed, right? Because they will have peace. It's not a peace that the world offers, 
which can so quickly be taken away. But it's a peace that only God can give because it is eternal, right? And it's, it's preparing you not only for the rest of your life here to be able to live in humility, not by mere appearance, not because you can get a big truck, right? But because you can know that God sees your heart and because your heart has been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, who really could save, who could hang on the cross and take all your sins, can you have peace restored to you? Right? And that is a mighty powerful thing. So is this the kingdom that you seek? All right, this is how we'll end. Is this the kingdom that you seek? Are you seeking a kingdom that is still of this world? Are you seeking a, a kingdom that, that once you, you get a good retirement, right, and then you build your house and you have your kids and they'll live with you and, and they'll never leave and, you know, once that is, that, is that your peace? Really, is that your peace? Is that the kingdom you seek? Because if it is, the king who rides on a baby donkey will be foreign to you, right? And, and at one point you'll say, save us, you are the one. And at the next point you'll be saying, you saved others, but you can't save yourself. Right? It's, it's just like that. I was sharing with somebody about Angelica and, this week. And, and they, they, wanted, they wanted so bad. But then they said this, they said, but I've seen it and I just, I just don't know how it works. It's and that is what Jesus was saying when, when he said, I, I don't come to bring peace but a sword too because it's going to be this dividing thing in our hearts before we experience peace. There's going to be this serious, this, this deep distress of our hearts saying, but how do I put my trust there? How do I, how do I say that is where peace comes from? Rather than saying, okay, may, maybe there, but I'm, I'm going to keep my investments here too. It doesn't work like that. In Colossians 1, 11 through 14, it says, May you be filled with joy. The kingdom is about joy. Always thanking God, he has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. May your joy be found in that, guys. That you can be transferred from old expectations to new expectations. From hoping in yourself to hoping in Jesus. And, and faith isn't something that is easy. But it is something that is concrete. Because you're putting your faith in the one who can bring you shalom. Right? Because he created the world and knows how it is intended to be. Right? And wants to restore that in you. So praise be to that God. Praise be to the God who would humble himself to ride in on a baby donkey. Right? So I know I give you guys a lot, but really I just pray. Pray this week and ask God, um, God, I want to celebrate this king I want to celebrate this king who would humble himself to ride on a baby donkey. Um, God, I want to seek this peace. I want to seek shalom. I don't want to seek anything else. And I want to be a citizen of this kingdom. 
right? So is, is this king your king, right? Is this the kingdom that you're a part of? And because no compromises are accepted there. So, um, and this, this really is what we worship. So as we go back into singing, we're going to sing um, at the end, Hosanna, right? Save us. Hosanna, Hosanna the highest, save us, save us. And actually at that point, it'll be pretty fun, the kids are going to come down and wave fake palm branches. <laughs> but, but consider that, save us, right? Save us, God. Is this who we're looking for to save us? Or are we looking for another, right? Save us, God. Only this king can save us. Who rode on a baby donkey. So pray with me and then we'll sing together. Oh, Father, I thank you for, for being so patient with us, being so gentle with us. Um, you, didn't, <laughs> you didn't come just subjecting us to, to pay you homage, but, but you came like us. God, realizing we just needed to be cared for, and, and I know that is your call to us in, in Matthew 11 where you said, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and you can find rest for your souls because I'm humble. And, and God, I, I pray that that's the king we'll serve. We'll, we'll think long about it. We'll consider it hard and we'll, we'll love you, God, in humility. Um, just worship you as king because you are coming again one day on a stallion, it says in Revelation, we trust that, because you are King of kings and you are Lord of lords, and in heaven, when we stand around your throne and just worship you, um, God, I pray that we just begin that now. I pray this in the name of Jesus, amen.